Hello, this is Teresa Clark with Africa.com. We are here today to talk about friends or foes, ESG and the mining sector. With us today is Tim Clark, who is the head of mining research at SBG Securities. Tim, how are you? Oh, very well, thanks. Thank you for having me on the, on the podcast today. Well, thank you very much for taking the time from your busy schedule to talk to us about this very interesting topic. So let's talk a little bit. I think everybody on this call knows what ESG is, but let's just make sure. So tell us what is ESG? Well, it, you know, three or four years ago, we, we used to, to talk about sustainability, but ESG has become the, the known acronym, which is for the environment, social or, or sustainable and governance side of, of running a business. And people tend to talk a lot more about the environment and the social. You don't hear as much about the G. Um, is that a fair comment? What, what, can you just delve a little bit more for people who are not as familiar with this? What, what does the governance part mean? Well, I, I think that's absolutely right. I, I suppose the, the reason for that is the, 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 the public difference between private and public companies. Public companies have always applied various um, rules from around the world, the King Code in South Africa, the Cadbury Code in, in the United Kingdom and, and, and other codes elsewhere to you know, report on and deliver very specific governance rules. So governance is a well understood, understood topic in the listed space. And you know, I was reading a mining company's financial statements this morning and I think about you know, 30% of it was taken up by the governance side of it, board, board, board um, composition, um, remuneration, those sorts of topics. Um, so G is very, very important, but I think it's, it's less spoken of because it was a very hot topic a few years ago and is, is pretty well um, installed in many businesses today, particularly the listed public space businesses. Well, thank you for adding that understanding to our conversation. That's an excellent way to start, thank you. Well, let's start by talking about how mining companies globally are approaching ESG. And then let's talk after you give us that perspective from a global perspective about how this might be different or the same in Africa. Well, I, I think the first thing that we should, we should differentiate is, is between listed or public companies and, and unlisted uh, companies. I think it's fair to say that in the listed space, um, the, 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 there's quite a different environment at play. Um, and we'll speak about that at quite a lot of length. But in the unlisted space, companies tend to be more um, orientated towards the needs of their, their license to operate rather than perhaps living to, to a higher required code of conduct or, or, or publicly um, acknowledged um, conduct. I think in the in the listed space, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little story, and, and perhaps that story will be illustrative. A, a large mining company, one of the largest in the world, told me a story of, uh, about two years ago now. And what they said was that a few years before that, so two years before that, so, so four years ago, um, one person would come into one of their meetings with a big shareholder and would ask one question at the end of the, um, at the, end of the, the meeting, about ESG. A year later, there was a, a lot more people in the meeting. So let's say something like half of the meeting was, was ESG people. And today, at least half of the queries, the investor relations queries, the work that is done 
um, by big listed companies in mining is on ESG. And certainly in terms of their public relations and presentations and interactions with shareholders and other stakeholders, it's extremely um, balanced and orientated towards ESG as well. And so, you know, if you take the investor relations department of, of a large mining company today, half of that department will only be working on ESG concerns. So the first thing to say to you is that mining companies are taking ESG extremely seriously, are very focused on it and have significantly tied remuneration, which as we all know, orientates the mind um, of a manager to ESG, environment safety, and all sorts of other ESG related concerns. That story, that story really is very helpful to put this in perspective. Yeah, and, and, and it really it really illustrates how important it is. And 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 they, they made a joke of of at the time and, and they said that you know four years ago there was there was one person in ESG who was sitting in the attic. You know, a year later there was a few people in the ESG department of big investors. And today, half of the building of the big investor is, is, is taken by ESG analysts and staff. So it has just become overwhelmingly important. And so the, the highest standard to which we're all living is driven by shareholder requirements and shareholder needs. Um, and we could, we could speak on that topic at length. Um, just, just you asked me to apply the, the, the process and the thought process to Africa. Um, and I suppose it's a bit of a mixed, a bit of a mixed bag in that Mining in Africa has over time become more of a private operation, unlisted space. The, the, the listed mining space in Africa has, has not necessarily grown to the, to the same extent as perhaps in other jurisdictions like Australia, Canada. And the result of that is that it's quite difficult to say, you know, for sure exactly, you know, how um, pervasive or prevalent that ESG concern is. Certainly, those shareholders are, are, are not public shareholders and hence probably are not holding to the same level of standard. But, but from a regulatory point of view, there is definitely an in increase in regulatory scrutiny across the whole of Africa um, and requirements, you know, and we can talk about it at, you know, at, at a later stage, but community requirements, taxation, regulatory requirements, license to operate requirements, which means that the, the ESG bench benchmark or, or bar is rising for all parties at all times. So Tim, you've done a really good job of helping us understand the importance and how the importance has gained over the last many years. Um, I just want to dig a little bit deeper um, and, and talk about this, this huge change that has occurred. What has been driving that change? What has made investors focus on ESG today in ways that they didn't in the past? Well, I, I think that at, at a global level, um, and there have been a, a few standout investors that have, have, have more publicly than others perhaps stood out um, as driving this. You know, Norges, the big Norwegian sovereign wealth fund has significantly um, determined in mandates and, and mandate requirements for pension for, for management of their pension funds around the world, you know, various investment criteria. And those requirements have, you know, pervasively um, fallen to, to other asset managers as well. So, so trustees of, of pension funds are now very interested in, in ESG credentials of their investment managers. And I think investment managers realize that in order to gain assets under management or even retain assets under management, 
it is you know significantly important to to look at at, at ESG as 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 a, as a as an important metric. But I think there's 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 not really no free free lunch in the world, and and we did an ESG study at, at SPG Securities um, a couple of years ago, and, and and we showed in that study that ESG investing had outperformed non-ESG investing. So companies that were more socially responsible um, had outperformed. And so, so as an investor, you're always looking to, to achieve those outperformance metrics. And, and, and clearly, you know, where the rubber hits the road, if outperformance is there, that's obviously very positive. Yeah, and let me ask you a very simplistic question. You know, is the focus on the environment and social metrics. Is it a generational shift? Is it that millennials care more about these things in previous generations? Um, is the timing just simply perhaps a factor of why, you know, who's running these investment funds and, and, and what's important to them? I, su I suppose it's just a development over time. Um, you know, if, 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 if one, one looks at, at resources, at mining resources, they are often sitting in rural locations, in poorer um, rural locations, and, and increasingly in communities that, that you know, require greater levels of, of development or have significant heritage that, that, is, that is essential and critical to, to defend and care for. So I, I, I guess that as one looks, as the world consumes more, um, more materials and and the energy transition, for example, BHP Billiton thinks that we need double the amount of steel produced, double the amount of copper produced, and four times the amount of nickel produced to supply the world's energy transition needs. So we we live in a world where we're producing a lot more material, and we need to produce even more material in in the longer term future. And and so those resources that are now being developed, there's a competition for for the best operator of those resources. And, and clearly companies are trying to differentiate themselves by caring for communities, by having better governance, which you know, results in things like you know, more credible tax payments and that sort of thing. And also by caring for the environment and for communities. Um, you know, a few years ago, I visited a copper mine in the DRC and it was, it was a very rural mine. Um, you know, to be honest, we drove down a dirt track into the mine and there was no one there. This is when the mining operation was just starting. And I will return to that mine three or four years later and it was, it was virtually in the middle of a town because people given you know, economic opportunity, given um, you know, community spend and, and, and given access to services that mining companies bring to communities had flocked to and urbanized right up to the boundary of those mines. Um, and so you're, you're right in the heartland of community and, and, and as we move forward and the world needs more mining, more resources, and we need to develop more mining and more resources, I think inevitably we're going to need to do that in a more responsible way. And I think, I think there has been some abuse in the past where, you know, lesser environmental concerns have been followed by, you know, bad mining companies many, many years ago, not recently, many, many years ago. And communities have long memories, and they they want to be sure that 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 that, that is protected in in places like Australia, and and I think it'll become increasingly the case in Africa. Um, heritage is really important, you know, cultural heritage sites, and protecting those sites, um, that sort of thing, becomes overwhelmingly important. 
Well, there's a lot there. I mean, I think you've really helped to underscore the importance of the sector in many communities, how it is a driver. It becomes a company town around, around the mine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the title of this uh, podcast is, you know, Friends or Foes, Mining and the ESG, Mining uh, Sector and ESG. And as you, you talk right now about the economic um, drive that the mining sector can create for a community and the need to respect the heritage, you know, it seems as if there is a, a, a tension between the mining companies who might be in, well, not might be, certainly are in pursuit of profit for their shareholders versus some of the objectives of the ESG movement that would um, add to costs and perhaps um, inhibit profit as one um, respects heritage sites, et cetera. So, so, you know, if we ask, you know, is, are they friends or foes? How, how do you answer that question? Yeah, it's, it's it's a wonderful and 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 and, a, and an interesting question, and and certainly I think if you if you took a, a an opinion poll of an ordinary person, they would probably put mining companies as as foes. You know that we we've had enough movies made about the evil mining company, but what the truth of the matter is is that actually uh, mining companies in Africa are great friends in general of the communities around them. I can cite for you hundreds of examples. Um, one of the best is on the doorstep of where I live in South Africa, the country of Botswana. Botswana was a rural and relatively poor country before the diamonds were found in the country. And through the custodian work with various mining companies, but primarily Anglo-Americans De Beers, the diamonds have been mined in that country and enormous economic benefit has fallen to the people of Botswana. Certainly in, in South Africa, there are a great many examples. More recently, I think in, in, in fairness, where communities are significantly cared for and benefited. You know, the movement of communities off land is done in a careful and sensitive manner. It's not done in a way that it was perhaps 50 years ago or 40 years ago with less sensitivity and less care. And, and communities are, are, are upskilled, are, are benefited, um, we see examples of it, you know, every single day. The, the vaccine rollout that is happening at the moment in the country and across Africa is being enormously benefited by, um, by mining companies. Uh, you know, I, several years ago, and I'm sure it's still the case with South 32, but several years ago, that's the CEO um, of BHP Billiton told me the story or told me all about how, you know, they were spraying for mosquitoes all around, you know, in, in a fairly broad radius around the Mosul smelter in Mozambique and how that had helped children to su survival rates of children, you know, schooling rates of children and economic benefits. And I think that, you know, often we, we're, we're tempted to, 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 to think of mining companies as trying to, to draw away from the communities and take their money away. And I'm sure there are examples of those. There are always, you know, unscrupulous operators. But I can tell you that the companies that I deal with have gigantic care for the community. They want to employ locally. Um, they want, they see enormous benefit to actually having local employment, local, local promotion, and local champions. Because 
it brings peace to around the minds. It, 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 it uplifts communities. And the upliftment work that is done is, is essential. So, so countries in Africa, I think, and even in South America, we often see it. At, you know, a few years ago, there was, a, there was a big earthquake in Chile. And the first thing they did was increase the royalty rates on, on copper by 1% for a year to pay for the damage done by the earthquake. And the mining industry is often the one that comes to the party and comes to the fore. Um, to to work with and help communities. So often I think governments try and see it as an opportunity to have greater take. And I'm sure that that's, that's fair and, and, and will always be attention. I think at, 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 at community level, um, increasingly, I've been in the industry for about 17 years or so, and increasingly, I think the, the mining industry is doing a, a better and better job um, to to care for individuals um, and to 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 work towards towards helping communities. I, I I'm not naive that that that's an overwhelming truth. I'm sure that there are unscrupulous operators, but but certainly the mining companies I talk to know very clearly that license to operate is clear, and that the ability to 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 be the operator of the next set of resources requires good performance. On the current set of resources being mined. Well, that's a very helpful perspective, and especially across your 17-year career. Um, you know, I, I want to tease out this faux side of it just a little bit. Please indulge me, because it is a very um, well-established perception, as you know. Um, the Legal Resources Center in South Africa, and I must confess that I have a, a, a relationship with that organization. Um, the Legal Resources Center was successful in securing a settlement um, in the last couple of years on behalf of mine workers who had contracted silicosis and tuberculosis, um, I think from 1960 until present, that there had been you know, just hundreds, if not thousands of, of mine workers who had, had suffered because there wasn't adequate worker protection in the mines, and I believe it was the largest class action settlement um, in the history of the continent of Africa. I, I think in US dollar terms, it was so, something like $350 million to help the families who had lost miners to tuberculosis or silicosis. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, um, about that and, and worker safety and whether that big settlement has had an impact on the way um, the mining industry thinks about worker safety? The, 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 the silicosis claims um, absolutely are um, a, a legacy issue that needed to be deal, dealt with, and I think we're dealt with in a in a in a very um, uh, legal and fair manner. I think that they they did relate to operating conditions that you know have not have 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 from a safety point of view been mitigated some time ago. Um, I don't want to give exact time frames, but I, I don't think it's it that that that, that you know miners. Um, you know, most of the, those silicosis claims claimants, I believe, were paid to family members because the 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 the, the person had died, and 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 there were there were relatively few actual um, claimants specifically there. Now, the reason for that is these are conditions that happened many years ago, and there's no doubt whatsoever that you know in in 
um, you, you know, you don't, you know, you look back to apartheid South Africa and many labor conditions were, were abhorrent. Um, I don't think we should look at an industry, you know, 30 years um, uh, later that is, you know, an enormous contributor to, to community efforts and, and, and take safety incredibly seriously. I mean, you know, all management teams now are, you know, one of their biggest remuneration drivers is safety you know, worker safety, caring for workers. I can't tell you how overwhelmingly important it is to the management teams that I deal with every day today. Unfortunately, we can look back at history and history for the mining companies and mining industry is dirty. Um, and it's, 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 it's less than, 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 than ideal. I don't think it's fair to blame the companies today for that. I think it is fair to blame the companies for, for bad behavior and for, for um, you know, inappropriate actions today. And I think, if you look, for example, at the Duke and Gorge um, blasting that happened in May, I think it's almost two, two years ago now, a year and a half ago now, you know, the, 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 the chief executive of Rio lost his job. Most of the executive of Rio has changed. Um, the law in Western Australia is changing. Um, you know, every single company has gone out there and, 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 and done a lot of work on, on checking and, 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 and ensuring that their heritage work is up to date and, and is, is new. I don't think the industry thinks they're perfect, but they're certainly trying very hard to, you know, plug as many holes as possible. And I think another useful and interesting example is the um, dam failure collapse at Samarco that, that killed 19 people in 2015. And since then, mining companies are disclosing, you know, publicly about all of their, now there was, there was pressure from the Bank of England and from institutional investors to do this. So I don't, I don't want to try and, you know, make as though this was a, I think there was a great willingness, but it, but it also, you know, there was pressure from, from investors. And, you know, now all tailings dams um, are disclosed in much greater levels of detail. So I'm sure there will be, there will be other hurdles to jump over. Um, I, I can tell you for, for absolute certainty that every single management team that I talk to is a personally liable nowadays. It wasn't the case many years ago, but the personal liability, the board liability is there. Um, and in addition to that, you know, the, the care is, is of an extraordinarily high level. I, I don't think a mining company that I speak to would ever make a decision that could put one of their, the, the health of one of their, their workers or labor um, into, into doubt over production or profitability. It doesn't, I don't think it exists easily nowadays. Very good. Well, thank you for that very comprehensive response to an important question. Yeah, it's a very important issue. Uh, and, and you have a very helpful perspective to, to address it. So, so let's talk about energy. Um, the world is transforming its energy system from one dominated by fossil fuel combustion to one with net zero emissions of carbon dioxide, CO2. Um, this is called decarbonization. Can you talk a little bit about how decarbonization is, uh, you know, how, how the mining industry is addressing decarbonization? Yeah, it's the, it's the hot topic, isn't it? Um, and I suppose coming out of COP26 um, or with COP26 still running, it is, it is still the, the, the headlines topic of the day. Um, the, the mining industry has generally stood up, certainly the listed and public industry has stood up and generally promised to be carbon neutral um, by 2050 or sometimes 2040. 
depending on the individual companies. The companies are looking at scope one and two, which are their direct emissions that come specifically out of their operations, but also scope three emissions, which are the emissions that happen with the products that they produce. So to explain those to you, scope one and two would, in, would include, um, you know, the, the um, so scope one is your direct emission. So let's say the, the, the truck that you're driving to run an open cast mine is emitting carbon dioxide in, in fumes from burning diesel, that's scope one. Um, scope two would be the, the, the power that you're using from a, a power utility that is using coal to generate electricity for you. So your, your scope two emissions um, take into account the, the, the source of power, say, as an example. And then scope three, let's say you're a producer of iron ore and that iron ore is used to produce steel by, by reducing coal and iron ore to, to make pig iron and, and, and that process also um, emits carbon. So that's a scope three emission. So what are the companies doing? They're all um, working towards zero, net zero, scope one, two, and three. Scope three is a really difficult challenge because you know, you're obviously making promises downstream that require technologies that might not exist at this point in time. They're all entering partnerships with um, the downstream to try and develop the technologies to use say hydrogen um, and you know depending on the specific um, the, the specific area if you look at um, if you look at say anglo-american they announced this morning a reduced a reduction of their of their, um, their 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 emissions from from shipping um, you know by 2040 so that also is is an emission that, that is sort of downstream from the, the exact mining area now what are the companies doing they're doing the easy things first and that is to you know put up renewables, you know some you know solar, wind, and to use renewables for their direct electricity production. They're also working hard on hydrogen to try and 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 battery and various other technologies to mitigate their use of diesel, which in many open cast mines is significant. And then they're entering partnerships with the downstream to try and mitigate the scope three emissions. But it's an area of gigantic focus and significant amounts of investment. And Rio Tinto spoke of seven and a half billion dollars in their recent seminar to be invested in the next eight or nine years on, on mitigation. So it's, a, it's an expensive, um, but an important topic. Now, the, 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 I suppose the, 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 the silver lining for the mining companies in many of these regards is that actually renewable power now is cheaper than, 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 than standard power. So often your, your, your coal-fired power is actually more expensive than renewable. So in Chile, um, BHP Billiton, Anglo-American, Rio Tinto have switched across to renewable power and have brought their power costs down in, in changing their, their use of power from fossil fuels to renewables. Ah, very, very, very comprehensive. So it, it's complicated is what you're saying. It, it is very complicated, um, you know, you know and, and it's complicated for the world. Um, you know, all of our energy and all of our vehicles ha have, have to transition to, to a very new way of thinking um, and working. Um, renewables, you know, renewables are, 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 are amazingly cheap and wonderful nowadays, but let's be honest, the, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun only shines half of the time if it's not raining, right? So, you know, we can't run a world where we, you know, you, you only produce power parts of the time without storing that power and storage of power of energy is an extremely high challenge. So there's huge technical challenges, but they don't look like they can't be overcome. Um, I think 
you know, there's some very interesting and exciting work being done in the world of, of, of converting renewable power effectively into hydrogen by splitting water into hydrogen and oxygen, and then using hydrogen in the mix of, of energy consumption rather than, you know, various other forms of, of energy. So, so there, there are hugely exciting technological advances happening, and, and it is the future. Now, what it also means is that the mining companies have looked across and every single one of the big companies um, even some of the smaller companies are now orientating towards finding and developing future-facing commodities. And this is an Africa podcast. And that one of the exciting things for Africa is that many of those commodities, you know, are based in Africa. So many of the, of the opportunities for mine development, um, you know, if you think of copper, um, manganese, cobalt, co um, you know, bauxite, these are all, you know, big resources around the world, but Africa holds the, the lion's share of many of these resources that have been undeveloped. You know, and, and that, you know, takes us to kind of a broad question, you know, as you point out, you know, Africa has all of these natural resources that the rest of the world needs. And, and you know, I know that you're a mining sector analyst, but, you know, I'd just like to ask you sort of a bigger picture question, you know, sort of why is it then, you know, that Africa has all of this wealth, all, you know, it, it has the natural resources that the rest of the world needs to power industry. Um, why is it that Africa is so poor when it has so much riches? Um, well, I don't know. I, th I, th I think that, that, that um, you know, industrialization to date around the world has perhaps drawn on resources from places like Africa, but there have there've been other, you know, resources have also been drawn from other places. Um, I think what you've got to look at is look forward and look at the, the future. Um, you know, the, 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 the group that SPG Securities, my business sits under Standard Bank, we, we strongly believe in Africa. We are totally invested in Africa. We believe that, that we as a bank can drive Africa's growth. And we can do that by financing and developing, um, you know, resources and, you know, economy around Africa. Now, you know, clearly there are, there are challenges um, and those challenges we, we're certainly optimistic will be overcome and can be overcome. And I think from an, I'm, I'm a very optimistic African and, and, and I strongly believe that the future is actually very, very bright for Africa in that I think there's there's huge urbanization and development that can happen and around the world those urbanization trends have, have been very important for middle income growth and for for economic growth. Um, you know, we look at something like, you know, company country like China that's just gone through a massive urbanization and development curve and, 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 and we all know the economic success that that has been. Um, there are many other examples of it, but we believe that Africa has that that capacity as well. And, and at least a portion of it, and, and, and perhaps a significant portion, can initially be driven um, by, you know, a, a, a good mining industry. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I can't, I can't remember exactly how many, three or four weeks ago, perhaps it was, there was an amazing announcement by BHP Billiton, or BHP, the, the biggest mining company in the world, um, that they were prepared to invest in what was previously considered higher risk geographies. And they said, as long as we go in, uh, we go in right, we do everything right, and we continue to operate correctly, we are happy to, you know, manage geographic risk. And, and if that can flow through to communities, that would be a hugely positive thing. Now, 
I am certainly optimistic and, and we as a business, as Standard Banker, SPG Securities are also optimistic about the, the potential of Africa. Well, very, very comprehensive answer. Very, very helpful perspective. You cover the mining sector, but you have an understanding that goes well beyond that one sector that our listeners are very fortunate to benefit from. Thank you so much for, for speaking with us about a wide range of topics associated with the mining industry as we explore the topic ESG and the mining sector, friends or foes. Tim, is there anything else that you think we need to talk about on, on this topic? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think, um, um, I, I, I think that, that, that we're, we're at, you know, we, we, from a mining point of view and a commodity cycle point of view, we often look at cycles as, you know, big opportunities for, for, for development and for, for um, uh, generation of wealth and value. And my sense is that we are sitting at the, the beginning of one of the most exciting cycles that is going to hit the world for a very long time, this energy transition cycle. It means that every energy source has to be moved away from carbon. It means that all of the vehicles we drive need to be changed. It means that the way we use and the way we store power has to be changed. And all of those things are going to be very material in intensive. And all of those things are going to need the materials that Africa is there to produce. So I think that we, we sit at the cusp of a very exciting time. And certainly it's up to, um, and, and the opportunity is there for African countries and for, for African companies to benefit significantly. And, and we're excited about that opportunity. Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Tim Clark, the Head of Mining Sector Research at SBG Securities, a division of Standard Bank. It's been a fascinating conversation. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have as well in, in listening to you today on Friends or Foes, ESG and the mining sector. This is Teresa Clark at Africa.com. We thank you for joining us today. <laughs>